Hey, this is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. That's at patreon.com slash I Love That Movie, all one word. Um, and if you sign up, you do get a weekly bonus episode of just everything I happen to be watching that particular week. Um, and if uh, let's see. And I want to take a moment to thank our top patrons. They are Chris Balga, Jeff Whitman, Philip Barker, and Michael Cross. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. And if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. I have a familiar voice on the podcast. I have Palmer. Say hi, Palmer. Hi, Palmer. Hey. Um, and you are from <laughs> Academy Rewind, but if people haven't heard you on the podcast before, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. I am Palmer, and as you said, I am from Academy Rewind, and two uh, I Love That Movie episodes, one with a fairly common movie and one with a movie that only two people have now heard of. <laughs> That's right. I think the first one we did was... Was it? Oh no, the second one I'm thinking of is was it Route 66? Yes, the second uh, one. The first one was Bird of Prey, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, we did Birds of Prey during the pandemic, and then Interstate 66, uh, almost a year ago, March. April, yeah, May. I know it's yeah, been a hot May-ish. minute. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good well, because it's nice to hear from you. Thank you. <laughs> We've been on uh, Academy Rewind's been on a little bit of a hiatus because someone decided to have a kid. We won't mention any names, but um, so I feel like I know been, who you're talking about. Yeah, so <laughs> we've been on hiatus. Luckily, uh, we'll be recording. I think next week is is when we're recording with you, of all people. Of all people. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes. you're you're essentially the third host of the show at this point. <laughs> Happy to return and understandable <laughs> about the hiatus. I mean, children keep you busy. I'm sure. Well, I mean, you're up all night feeding the child anyway. You tell him you can't watch a movie in that amount of time? (laughs) (laughs) I'll let Tim answer that. (laughs) Uh, Well, really happy to have you back. And I always have the guests pick the movie. So what movie did you uh, choose to talk about today? Today will be the Ron Howard classic, The Paper. I've never seen this film before. Yeah, it. It's got to be like one of the it's got to be not the low point of Ron Howard's like uh, career because I really I do really like this movie and I think people who watch it do tend to like the movie but it's definitely yeah, I the, it. It, it's definitely like the overlooked one yes but yeah so you introduced me to a new movie uh, this was made in 1994 
Um, and for those of you listening, if you're still with us, um, I am not going to do a spoiler-free and spoiler-filled review. We just kind of chat about the movie. So I'm going to give a quick synopsis, and you may want to pause here and go watch the movie and come back. I did rent it on iTunes for $3.99, so you can find it on there. Uh, here's the yep. synopsis of the film. Uh, Henry Hackett is an editor at the New York Sun, a tabloid paper facing financial cuts. His pregnant wife pleads with him to get a more respectable job so he can spend more time with his family. Hackett is considering an offer from another paper with fewer hours and higher pay when he gets the hottest story in years. When this scoop leads to a burst of violence and a conflict with his new boss, Alicia, he faces a startling moment of truth. Yes. That he's Batman. <laughs> yes, he realizes he's Batman. Um, I'm sure that's going to come up a little bit when we talk about the uh, the quick facts too. <laughs> about, yeah, I um, noticed. Uh, I noticed the bat signal shows up a couple times. Oh, really? Okay, I think I missed that. So you'll have to you'll have to point that out to me. But um, when did you first see this movie? Uh this movie probably. Probably when it first came out. I definitely didn't see it in the theaters. But uh, 1994, I would have been. Oh, you know what it was? It was always on. It was always on like HBO or Showtime. Oh, okay. Around yeah. you know when it when it came to the cable, uh, a cable networks. So I would we had those channels when I was growing up, and this is one like I would always watch when it was on, even though at the time I was like. Let's see, 94, so I was 13. Um, but it always just fascinated me. Yeah, it's 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 good. I, I Like I said, I hadn't seen it before, but I have a couple of quick facts I wanted to share about it that kind of I thought were interesting. Um, the film takes place in a 24-hour span. The events of the film follow four different or follows different characters and their experiences throughout the day. The film was produced by Brian Grazer, who also produced the hit show 24, which also follows different characters, a different character over a 24 hour period. Yes. Yeah, I just I think that's interesting. That was what stood out to me a little bit when reading about the movie was that it takes place in 24 hours. It really does. And it's such a condensed 24 hours. It's not like, you know, by the time everything starts getting to go in the story. They they kind of give you an update on the time here and there, and there's like a really big time jump from like the say 10 a.m. when he gets in to like the 2 p.m. block. So really, mm-hmm. a lot most of the stuff happens between like his like say 3 p.m. to 3 p.m. to like say midnight ish. Yeah, um, that's so, true. Yeah. So there are there are times where they're just like they're they're talking and you're like oh not much time has passed in this day they still have an entire day and they're like you need to get this in the next two hours and I'm like what where the hell when did we go from three p.m. to eight p.m. already? Yeah. <laughs> also, the co-screenwriter Stephen Cope was has experience in the world of journalism because he's the editor in chief for Time Magazine. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. One other fact I have is that Mike Sheehan uh, was the key detective in the Central Park case in 1989, but has a stance that he still thinks the Central Park Five were uh, the perpetrators, which is crazy. 
um, and opposite of what the character he's playing in this movie. Like, I couldn't help but feel watching this movie that it, it reminded me of that case, so that must be why they picked him, but... It kind of does, anyway. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder I wonder if the irony was lost at, on him at all. Like, that's yeah. what his character was in this movie. And especially in the time frame of this movie, like, the Central Park Five, I believe, they're still in jail at this point, right? Uh, it says 1989, so... Mm, probably. And... Yeah, conviction in 2002. Uh, it was overturned. So, yeah, they would have still been yeah, so in they, jail. Yeah. So, you know, and it was, you know, certainly it was it was always controversial. So, but I do oh, wonder. for sure. But I wonder yeah, if the years like, have gone on, if maybe his stances changed. You got to wonder, too, just, you know, not sure and just speculating here. But if he was a detective and he was the key detective, maybe he doesn't want to let go of the past because it makes him look bad. Right. And sometimes you know, you're, sort of protect, protecting himself and his. Yeah. Sometimes you know, they're a little bit too close, you know, and, you know, even though he's completely wrong, maybe, you know, maybe he for some reason still thinks the information that he had was correct at the time. Yeah, who knows? Like, but that not, was that was shocking to me. Like, I if I were him, you know, and he really thinks that, it's strange that he would even be in this movie then. Because right. it seems like that movie is specifically kind of talking about how different headlines can, you know, make can really affect people if you print the wrong one. And, it, you know, I feel like the whole point of the movie is you shouldn't be quick to print something just to get ahead of the fact um, until you have all the information. Yeah, and that you know, I, you know, I always liked the storyline of this of this movie growing up, where you have this one guy kind of fighting for the entire for the truth of the story, and not mm-hmm. just like, well, it's fine, we'll be, you know, we'll tell the truth tomorrow, but today we have to get out of paper, so we're just gonna go with this today. Like that's one of you know one of the lines is we only have to be right for a day, and as as you as I've grown up and, you know, become more worldly, like nowadays, that's even more, it's even more like pressing to see in a movie. Oh yeah. I feel like it's more relevant than it's ever been. I mean, you know, the famous case that it's sort of, I mean, almost based on, uh, you know, was definitely something where people's lives were affected. Um, I remember Trump took out like that entire first page or whatever of a newspaper to label somebody as to label some people as convicted and they weren't. Um, And I feel like in modern times, we're just dealing with that more and more and more where, you know, you need to be careful about the sources that you rely on because so many different sources rely on getting the information out there as fast as they can instead of the correct information. And I think we've seen a lot recently where, you know, they accidentally misidentify someone and like ruin their lives or, you know, people get death threats and things like that. I mean, they really have a responsibility not to, uh, not to just report something as fast as you can, but rather as accurately as you can. Especially nowadays where it's, it's an instant thing. Like, news stores you know newspapers are going on twitter to kind of announce stuff rather Mm -hmm. than you know spending the day cultivating a paper even making an article on a website even just like 10 15 years ago where stuff started going digital like it still took time for them to put it up up on a website where now twitter is giving them the chance to broadcast it almost immediately 
Yeah, and we're all sort of getting kind of desensitized because we'll get on Twitter and we're like, it'll say like, so and so is dead, and then a minute later, like, oh, never mind, that was misreported, and you're like, huh, you know, it's like <laughs> we're not really getting great, accurate information anymore, just by the nature of how fast it's being put out there. Yeah. Well, um, you know, always good to start off a, a podcast with a very controversial. <laughs> heated things to talk about but i mean you know that is what this movie's about but let's move on a little bit to uh to the director so you mentioned at the top that you know this is from ron howard's career but it's it's not you said not really one of the the biggest movies he's known for i i honestly don't think so like if you know for one i think it's hard finding people that might have seen this movie and then if they have me, you know, they might not remember that it's Ron Howard. Yeah, and, I, I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah. And it's it's weird because like the same thing happens to me sometimes, it's, even with movies that I like, like, oh, yeah, far, far and away. Another Ron Howard movie is is oh, another. Man, I haven't seen that in years. <laughs> I remember seeing that, though. Uh, that's another one where it's like, you know, I I'll watch it and I'm like, oh, that's right. Ron Howard directed this. Or, you know, you get something like Spielberg directing something out of the blue. Like, say, what was it, Tintin? Was that the one that he did? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there are times where, like, directors will have stuff that doesn't seem... That people don't collectively remember to be their movies. Yeah, it's not like something that I think of as his film, like you said. Um, You know, when I think of him, I think of, like, A Beautiful Mind or... The Da Vinci Code or, you know, things like that. Uh, yeah. Apollo 13, you know, um, but which was actually a year after the paper came out. Oh, man. And that was when and he won an award. He won the director award for that. Right. Man, uh, that sounds right. <laughs> one year he, before he should have won it for the paper. I don't remember anything else about 1994, but I'm just going to assume he should have won it for the paper. <laughs> Yeah, I think in 1994, I was probably nine or ten, so I don't remember much then either. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the cast then. What a cast, really. It's a huge cast, yeah. Yeah, like you can tell it's definitely a a A-name director because of Mm -hmm. the cast that they pulled in for this relatively small movie. Right, so it stars Michael Keaton, of course. And uh, but he's joined by Robert Duvall, uh, Glenn Close, um, Marissa Tomei, Randy Quaid, uh, Jason Alexander, <laughs> yeah, Catherine O'Hara. I, so many people. Uh, the the chief who captured uh, Carmen Sandiego on PBS. <laughs> uh, I can never remember her first name, but like her last name is Thigpen. Uh, but she plays the secretary to. To Michael Keaton, you have Spalding Gray. I did not notice that. <laughs> yep, uh, you have Spalding Gray, who was, uh, you know, a person in the literary world, mm-hmm. who unfortunately, who's unfortunately since passed away. Uh, that's the only like I only knew him from this movie. Oh, okay. Uh, it's uh, I think that might be all the biggest names. Obviously, you have Clint Howard and Rance Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and then the, then there's some character actors that that you'll that you'll notice from other movies, like the owner of the paper played the grandfather in Little Big League. Oh, okay. 
he also played the editor in All the President's Men, but we all know him from Little Big League, is essentially. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised by how much of the cast that I recognized, and obviously were very big in 94, and um, yeah, I was like, how did I miss this one? But I love how you said earlier that you saw this like over and over again on like HBO. There's so many movies like that where you miss them in theaters, and then like a network gets like the rights to them and plays them over and over. And then they end up sort of becoming a, a favorite of yours that way instead. I always think that's interesting when someone has that history with a movie. Yeah. This was one of the few movies at the time, like every time I passed by it, I would just stop and watch it. So it's definitely one of the movies that I've seen the most, even though I could never tell you like what movies that actually equates to, but yeah, it, it, it was, you know, even for being young, like it always surprised me that I was that interested in this movie. Yeah, it's listed. I noticed the tagline says a new comedy from the director of Backdraft and Parenthood. I didn't yep. really think of it as necessarily. I mean, there's comedic moments, but it wasn't like a straight comedy to me. Like comedy drama, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a good chunk of comedy, so I can see. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah I don't know if I would completely I don't know if my first instinct in marketing would be like let's push this as a comedy yeah like there's some serious stuff that happens also the other tagline says a behind the look a behind the lines look at work marriage and other forms of combat <laughs> okay <laughs> whoever was doing marketing at the time I know who was did they was watch not, this movie <laughs> yeah I don't think it was their best it wasn't their best unfortunately <laughs> Uh, geez, yeah, I don't, you know, this is before, this is even before we all found out, like, Randy Quaid was really crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, this, like, this is his, his character in this movie, not too far from his real life, apparently. Ugh. Um, do you want to talk about some of your favorite scenes from the movie? Uh, absolutely. Okay. And. Uh, you know, funny enough, they do they do involve Randy Quaid. Like, I always loved his <laughs> character growing up. He's a columnist who we find out at the beginning of the movie had his car towed and they damaged <laughs> they damaged his car. So naturally, as a columnist for a newspaper, he decides to go on a rant about the parking in the city. And he really goes after one like bureaucrat. Like, I don't even think it's the head of parking. I think it's just the one person that he was able to find out the name of and so we meet him because he's sleeping inside muggle keaton's office because he's afraid to go home that this person is trying to kill him <laughs> and there's an interaction between him and michael keaton which is still my favorite line from the movie where keaton notices like he just has a like a random gun on him and he's like why do you have a gun? He's like, oh, I told you that they're after me. He's like, when did you start getting so paranoid? And he just looks at him deadpan. He's <laughs> like, when they started plotting against me. <laughs> yeah, I guess there is kind of a lot of humor in the movie. Mostly from Randy Quaid. Um, yeah. But even like Robert Duvall has his own like folksy, you know, his his folksy Robert Duvall comedy charm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, him at the, you know, him at the doctors finding out his news. Yes. And like his, his sign of gallows humor. 
if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it it tries to lighten a very serious uh, part of the movie, and it's not really one that. That's one storyline. Like, I'm not too sure why it was included. I was actually going to ask that. Like, what is it about his boss, right, having this illness? I guess it's just supposed to add weight to time is running out or realizing that where priorities need to align or something like that. Maybe, because, like, we kind of, like, Michael Keaton is so busy trying to chase the story that he isn't necessarily losing his marriage, but his very pregnant wife, who is on, who was a reporter at the paper, who's on maternity leave, she's eight and a half months pregnant, who Mm -hmm. right now has really, you know, nothing to do but sit there and kind of say, you know, kind of look at, you know, the kind of life he's leading and say, you know, if something happens, will he be there? Mm-hmm. And then we see Robert Duvall, who you could argue did all the same stuff that you see Michael Keaton doing and didn't pay enough attention to his family. And now his daughter's kind of estranged from him. Although, although you know, we do see him try and patch things up with his daughter. And now he's kind of in this spot where something might, be coming down the pipeline for him and he doesn't really have anybody there so you could say that right. it's, it's it's a good like you know christmas of you know christmas of future, you know yet to come the spirit of christmas of yet to come that michael keaton can see and be like you know i don't want to end up completely like that yeah because it seems like robert duvall's character really placed the job above like you're saying his family his own health and now he's in like a really bad position, yeah. whereas Michael Keaton's character, like you said, he's becoming sort of like a workaholic that the story is more important than anything else, including his family. Although I would argue Marissa Tomei's character also kind of I mean, she can't get away from the story either. So, right. And that, <laughs> and I think we know like even like at the end of this movie, like she like she makes a comment about how all the all like the arguments they had the previous day, how she doesn't remember them at all. Oh, and yeah. It, and it doesn't yeah. really matter. So I think she even realizes like it was a little like it was a little bit overblown to an extent. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying he wasn't a workaholic, but I am saying like for this story. That they're working on that essentially could that will essentially impact greatly two innocent people of color's lives mm-hmm. to the point where it could utterly like utterly ruin it. I would argue like this story was not the best story to kind of make the argument that he was choosing work over other people. Yeah. It's like, that was a really important story. Um, I mean, I guess she was trying to say like, there's always going to be something like that. Right. But at the same time, she couldn't help getting involved because it was, you know, complicated. It involved organized crime. And yeah, I mean, they like, both are deeply dedicated journalists. Like, I think there's a point where Robert Duvall makes a comment like, we don't do it for the paycheck kind of thing because it's yeah not significant. It's the truth that matters. Right. And you're right because she, like, she goes off eight, eight and a half months pregnant chasing a lead, even though, like, even though even Michael Pete was like, dude. yeah. <laughs> that guy's like, do I have a chance? I'm like, she's pregnant. 
<laughs> she's pregnant. <laughs> like, she's serious? married, and <laughs> yeah, like that was one of those. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> no, not the best time to shoot your shot, man. Yeah, he was like, where do I stand? I'm like, I don't know how she could have made it any more clear where you <laughs> stand. That's really funny, but she had to use her source. I get it. Right. Um. Yeah. Uh, you got and you got uh, Glenn Close in this, who you know does a really good job at playing a very uptight person that you kind of dislike throughout most of the movie because she has to play she has to play the bad person like she has to play the bean counter that yeah that is trying to keep a budget and and you understand like I can understand that to a point. And she does let personal grudges kind of dictate some of this, as does Michael Keaton in some respect. But it just it like most of most of the time I come back to the story that they're chasing and I'm like, this isn't the story to have all of this come like to have all of these arguments about. Yeah. So I guess we should say what the story is, too, because we haven't talked about that yet. But yep. um, basically, there's a murder and some graffiti on a car and these two young black teens see it. They're like, Oh, what's going on over here? Or, you know, what's happening over here? And then they realize someone's dead. And one of the teenagers even almost touches the gun. And his friend is like, no, which, you know, like it's my first time watching it. I'm like, no, don't. <laughs> um, and then somebody takes a picture of them. And so this leads to like, you know, later people thinking it's these teens and um, running with that story versus, you know, investigating it. Um, right. They're just the easiest, most convenient people that were right there. Um, and that's where I was talking about. It reminds me of that case, which, again, makes me surprised someone would be in this movie if they disagreed with the outcome of the overturn. But I yeah. guess this movie came out before that was overturned. So, right. Who knows? So, yeah. And interesting. Yeah. Parallel. And. And like you're right, like the cops when they're when they're talking to the cop, even the cops like, look, these kids were just walking by. Like we have no evidence whatsoever that they were involved. There's no print on any of the murder weapon. Their prints are nowhere mm-hmm. on the on the site itself. So like yeah. even the cops are just like, you know, this is a complete BS thing. And you're right, like it's it's a very it's a very poignant story, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. you know that you can see like why michael keaton is fighting to make sure they don't just print the facts as they have them that they print the truth right right but you know it shows the pressure in the movie of different outlets trying to be the first to release information about a story yeah i you know I would wonder what this movie would look like made today. Mm-hmm. And you would like, I almost think like you would give it to Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. I was going to say, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, the, was it the, I can't remember the title now, the trial of the Chicago seven or. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah it does. It does kind of remind you of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it definitely has like an all the president's men type of feel because, sure. it's about you know, it has, you know, it's the journalistic integrity of it all. Uh, so so you have that, but it's very like it's very frantic and kinetic. Most of the action, mm-hmm. you know, most of the scenes are 
fast paced with multiple conversations going on. But, you know, there's at one point, like you see him juggling like three calls on hold, bouncing back and forth between a reporter, his wife, and then the guy from the other uptown paper that just that found out he had stole the lead off of his desk during an interview. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so you have all that going on and for the time frame, this movie does kind of look like very nineties though. It does. I mean, the fashion, even some of the tropes, I feel like Glenn Close's character would be a little different. Cause I feel like she's sort of playing into this, like in the eighties and nineties, there was always like these tough women in like positions of power that were like awful. <laughs> Like, yeah, like I don't know. You, I feel like the 80s and 90s didn't know how to handle that topic very well. And so the characters come off kind of cartoonishly bad where she like tries to sleep with her boss and like do anything to like get the story. You're like, now you're kind of like, well, I don't know about that part. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, these days. like it seemed it seemed to be like in the 80s and 90s, the only way they could write women in any sort of power was like they had to be they had to be like tough and very cold yeah which is like not like real life like you know right but i mean it, it was new newer at the time i yeah. guess and so and that's why but I, I mean and she is kind of a bad person because she's like cares so much about her reputation and being in a position of power that she doesn't care about the truth anymore and like there's that scene where they're like you've become everything you hate you know right which is which is why i'm glad like she kind of has the redemption of it to make yeah, sure the paper true. puts out the right thing because i you could they don't really give you much to to argue this point there is a there is a scene in which randy quaid where she's talking to randy quaid and she's talking about how like everyone hates her and this and that and randy quaid's like look like you the like the job you're in is the job that nobody wants because you're the one who has to say no and yeah everyone's gonna hate you and you you know if you want it to be liked you shouldn't have taken the job that you did and like he he feels a little sort of empathy for her but i also think unfortunately given the time frame like she thinks she has to be like this to to justify her position i think that's true and i think that's something that's evolved um you know her speech there i felt like had two different levels to it on the one hand it's like there is sort of an issue in the workplace or at least there used to be of like not inviting certain people to the happy hours everyone's going to, leaving people out of the room when decisions are made. And she was touching on that. But like you said, Randy Quaid's character kind of counteracts that with, well, it's also literally the position you pick, though. Not even yeah. just that you're a woman in a position of power, but on top of that, you're in a really unlike position of power, like you said, the bean counter. Right. Uh, this also has This movie might also have the distinguished... Uh, of the worst dad joke in history. <laughs> Which one where, was that? Where they're in the bar and she's going to call the paper and she accidentally gets shot during a commotion. And oh, yeah. they rush over to her and she's like, there's a bullet in my leg. Why did the bullet go through the wall? And Randy Quaid just sits there. He's like, to get to the other side. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's talk about that scene. That was intense uh, with Jason Alexander. Can you kind of like set that up and talk about yep. so, what was happening? 
so Robert Duvall goes to this local bar to, you know, bend the bartender's ear about, you know, how his daughter hates him and how he wants to make up with her. And mm-hmm. we see we see Jason Alexander there, who is unnamed at the time. And the bartender, he asks who that guy is because he keeps seeing him look over. And the bartender is like, oh, he says he's waiting for a fight. Gradually throughout the rest of the movie, Jason Alexander starts talking to Robert Duvall. And we find out that he's the parking commissioner. Or the person that, oh. that Randy Quaid has been that Randy Quaid has been writing the articles about. So oh. Randy Quaid and Glenn Close come into the bar later after after a blow up with Michael Keaton's character. Mm-hmm. And once Jason Alexander sees him, Jason Alexander pulls a gun on him because, you know, because of the articles that were written and him being named now, like the public is kind of the public kind of knows where he lives or is kind of hounding him and hounding his kids at school. It like led to a divorce, right? With his wife, I think. Yeah. So there's a lot going on as a fallout from these articles, which again is very timely with everything that kind of happens nowadays. Like this got mm-hmm. like this got way ahead of way ahead of Twitter. That's and, true. Like because the motive of like of 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 uh, spotlighting this guy for Randy Quaid's character, it's overly personal, right? Like he's writing like mean stuff about Jason Alexander's character, but right. it's because he's getting like parking tickets and stuff. And I mean, everyone hates that. And like, that's a huge thing that happens in every downtown city. It's always a problem, but the problem is Randy Quaid targeted Jason, Jason's character, Sandusky. And so now like he's made him like this public figure that everyone hates where normally he wouldn't be. Right. And he does it multiple times. It's not just like one article. Yeah. And it's, and like uh, Sandusky even asked him, he's like, why did it have to be me? And all Randy Quaid's like counterpoints are, well, you're a public official. It was your turn. Or just like, you know, you didn't pick up the phone. You didn't pay the, the damage. Cause like his car got damaged. And that was like his real crux of it. And he's like, <laughs> you should have just paid for the damage to the car. Like, and I'm like in the grand scheme of things, like with what this guy seems to be going through because of these articles, that's not a good enough reason. <laughs> yeah, it seems like he abused his power there. I mean, you know, he didn't have to write all those articles and make everyone hate him so much and make his wife leave him and his kids be threatened right. at school over parking yeah. tickets. Like, that's yeah. not that it's, serious. You know, <laughs> and, and we kind of see it, you know, we see it in some of the, and some of, like, the transitional scenes. Like, there's a scene in which... Um, either Michael Keaton or Glenn Close are coming into the building and we see like people jumping onto the hood of car, a car that's getting towed for being in an illegal parking spot or whatever. And they're like, you tell Sandusky, we're not going to take this anymore. Oh yeah. Like, what the hell is going on? And then she even <laughs> shows up with like a security guard or a, or a tow truck driver that has like us, you know, some, some spots on his face. Like he got beat up. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, yeah, that's too far over. Yeah, that. like it. It just, I like you said, it's like showing how like 
um, the the news source can craft their own narrative and really sway people in a way that maybe they shouldn't be or could have unintended consequences. And like you said, pretty timely for these days. <laughs> yeah. And I think it kind of shows it goes back into the Michael Keaton thing nicely because it's kind of showing like, yeah, Randy Quaid is is saying factual stuff, but is that is that stuff to the point where it ruins this guy's life? Yeah. And was it necessary? Yeah. So, I would argue no. <laughs> no, definitely not. You know, so it you know the the, the theme of this movie is very strong in mm-hmm. you know be careful how you report something think about the lives that it impacts and don't just don't just go with the facts you have try to make sure that the facts are the truth yeah yeah don't just take things at face value like there's always something more to be uh investigated and it, it takes time like you said um speaking of that since we talked about this scene should we talk also about um the scene you're referencing just now with michael keaton uh there's a big confrontation between him and glenn close <laughs> yep so they finally get you know they finally find out what michael keaton's kind of been chasing all along they get to the they get to the paper but at this point it's 10 o'clock at night now Anyone that, you know, knows a little bit about newspapers that, like, it takes a while to print all these papers. Like, this is back in 94, where they still kind of had really good circulation. Like, Mm -hmm. I I forgot when I was looking it up online that, like, circulation, you know, around this time could have been, like, a Mm million-ish. So, they, they start running presses from what I can gather in this movie for this paper at say around seven o'clock okay um so but in order to in order to comment on the teens getting arrested because we all it all kind of kicks off with the fact that this murder happened overnight and they were the only ones in town that didn't report the 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 murder (laughs) so now they're you know they have a backup to go with um, a subway derailment but they really want to mm-hmm. go with the arrest because at least they'll be, you know, it's the topic going on. So yeah. they're gonna they're gonna walk the the two defendants at seven thirty. So they're they already have to make concession that they're gonna start the print run late, which means it costs them like twelve thousand dollars because you know the the truck drivers that drive the papers are all union. So for mm-hmm. them to be standing around you're paying them regardless. Like if there's, it doesn't matter if you pushed it back. So at this Mm -hmm. point, it's like 10 o'clock at night. He's got his quote that he needed. He intentionally kind of sent a unseasoned photographer to hope that she doesn't get a picture so they could use for the wrong headline. Mm -hmm. He gets back. They ran the wrong headline and he decides he's stopping the press. And which is Randy, literally like a button. Yep, which <laughs> is just a button. You need a key and a button. But <laughs> Randy Quaid easy. makes him yell it because you have to yell it. Mm-hmm. Glenn Close finds out because she's the one who told them to run the the wrong headline. Yeah, they have a fight downstairs because they're not friends. Like they they've been at each other throughout most of this movie, and pretty much from what we can gather, they're they're at odds most of the time. 
So yeah. now their personal feelings with each other are kind of coming to this bubbling point too. Yeah. All over this story. So they have a nice long dragged out fight. I mean, literally like punching each other. Like yep. he's not afraid to hit Glenn Close, a woman. Um, notice that. Oh, Marissa Tomei hates her too, right? Like they in the beginning they're talking about like how much they don't like her. Right. And yeah. again, because of the position she's in, like, yeah. Yes. I will say though, he doesn't throw the first punch. That's true. I mean, that would be I feel like we would turn on him if he did. Right. We'd be like, whoa, whoa, sir. Right. But like yeah, he, she does. She's she the, does, the one that gets physical. Yeah. Like he does kind of push her off to the side. So that mm-hmm. is, you know, that is no bueno to kind of start it off because she's trying to get in his way of stopping the press. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, they have a, you know, they have a scuffle and <laughs> she and, you know, he stops the press. She starts it back up. She fires him. So, but, and that's when he's, that's when he tells her, you know, you, you officially became everything you hated. Yeah. And, and that kind of starts her turning point of self-reflection of, you know, do I really need to be the way I am to get the job that I need to done? Yeah. Like she was putting dollar signs ahead of people's lives. You right. know, it's like he, she's going to ruin someone's two people's lives. Yes, you will lose money having to reprint the headline. But ultimately, uh, that shouldn't be her focus, even if it's her job in air quotes. It's still she has a moral obligation not to not to follow that. Right. And like some of it's petty, like we see at the beginning where she's talking about a phone bill and Michael Keaton's like, oh, I'm not going to ask reporters to wait till five o'clock to make an out-of-state phone call just to save a few right. pennies. Um, that, you know, that's nothing compared to knowingly running a story that's wrong. Right, right. Like, she acted like that was so serious, but what she's doing is really more egregious in general. Like, even if and, they make phone calls at specific times, it's not really going to save a significant amount anyway. <laughs> right. And that, you know, Randy Quaid actually has to, like, spell that out for her. He's like, you know, and even, like, Randy Quaid kind of takes some sort of, some sort of, um, some sort of repentance for what he does. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, you know, I I blow things way out of proportion, they are but working at a tabloid. <laughs> right. Well, a tabloid's really like a misnomer here because it's the size of the paper that that makes it a tabloid, which I didn't oh, realize, yeah. uh, which I didn't realize. But they do actual news. Yeah. And they I do a lot maybe of maybe just back when there was more news in general, there were different sizes and they meant something. Now tabloid just means. Yeah. Now you get like tabloid is TMZ. Yeah. So. You know, so he's like, you know, yeah, I blow things out of proportion or we run stories because, you know, we, you know, we have a funny headline for it or we have a picture of a dismembered arm, which is <laughs> comes up more often in this movie than I would imagine. <laughs> but but he's like, but until tonight, we never knowingly got a story wrong and printed it. Mm. And that's what kind of, you know, that's Glenn Close's, like, come to Jesus moment where she's like, all right, 
yeah, like this, like that's that's kind of where you should draw the line with money, like. Right. Yeah, completely agree. <laughs> so, what are some other scenes that we haven't chatted about yet? Uh, there is another scene in which uh, Marissa Tomei comes to check on. Uh, Michael Keaton after his interview because she's pushing oh, yeah. him to get she's getting she's pushing him to for this interview and she's like I want to know everything about it and as she comes into the office it's right around their time for the, like their three o'clock meeting which I guess mm-hmm. is when they start like really setting what the paper is going to be so there's two reporters kind of arguing about you know the lead on the story because the reason they got beat overnight was because this guy didn't answer his beeper and that was his Mm -hmm. section. Like that was his territory. So Michael Keaton sends out another woman into his territory. So he's upset. She's kind of, she's kind of arguing with him about it. All these people are kind of rushing into his, rushing into his office while Marissa Tomei, who's just like sitting there trying to talk to her husband about a really big life decision. And Randy Quay is just like, can somebody please let her talk to her husband? And we just, we just finally see him like walk out calmly of the office. He grabs like two bundles of two bundles of papers, stacks them in the office and fires a gun into the paper. Oh yeah. (laughs) And they all stop. And he's like, let her talk to her husband. Please. There's a lot of like there's a lot of tense action packed moments in this movie. Yeah, there really is. Uh and then you have the and then like two minutes later you have a security guard kind of walking up. Like it's like it's after like their more their afternoon thing and he's like, Hey, did anybody hear a gunshot? Oh yeah, it's very casually asked about. Yeah, for the and rest Michael of the movie. Keaton and Michael Keaton sends him over to Glenn Close's office. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Um, you know, I was I have the movie on as as we're talking, and it just got yeah. to the scene in which Marissa Tomei is talking to her source, and. It's not, but when I was rewatching this, I immediately thought he was Clark Gregg. Because oh. he's, he's got the same kind of face and receding hairline. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a character actor whose name I couldn't remember for the life of me. But you would recognize him if you saw him. But it's, again, like he, I just saw him like mouth. Where, you know, just like to know where I stood. She's like, <laughs> you, you kind of knew that when I called. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, she got her source. <laughs> yep, which is really all that matters. Yes, I thought the uh, the uh, I guess uh, kind of a birthing scene. Um, she has a medical emergency and has to be like rushed to the hospital. Yeah, that was yeah. Yeah, as I I do like prior to that because she's typing out thank you. Thank you cards for people that you know for a baby shower or whatever, and she, you know she's like, "Thank you for the spotted thing that three other people bought. What was it on sale?" And she's not really <laughs> typing that, you know, she's just kind of narrating it. Uh, but yeah, she goes, she goes into she goes into a medical emergency, which you know is probably why they they 
commit pregnant women to bed rest because she does a lot of running around in this movie and is very stressed out. I know she's doing a she's doing the most, man. But yeah. I think it's sort of implying that she doesn't really want a future of just staying at home taking care of her kids. I oh, feel she, like she's learning that in this movie. She's like, wait a minute, I do not want to give this up. It's awesome. She, she definitely doesn't. Like she goes out to dinner with Catherine Keener, or she goes out to lunch with Catherine Keener, who oh, yeah, who uh, either was a, Catherine O'Hara, right? Oh, uh, Catherine O'Hara, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who was either, or, or, I believe she also worked at the paper, and then she had a child, and that's when we see Marissa Tomei come into to Michael Keaton's office, and she's like, I have seen my future, and it's a <laughs> woman who guzzles down a bottle of wine at lunch in a single gulp. <laughs> yeah, and, it's a very like, bored that's, housewife that's not yeah. fulfilled, sounds like, yeah. Right, and like that kind of scares her, and that's why she even, she's like, look, I'll go I'll go find out this information for you. So, like, even she doesn't really want to slow down. Yeah, and he doesn't seem to mind that much, because, like, whenever she's going on and on about her sources and stuff, he's, like, basically like, this is so hot. (laughs) You're so so smart. I love how smart you are. So they kind of balance out the, like, I think the tropes and stuff with with her pretty well. They they do, because in a lesser movie... Um, when he gets to the office in the morning, uh, not when he gets to the office first thing, but like when he, you know, he goes off and does something. When he comes back, his secretary's like, hey, your wife called and he calls her back and he's just like, hey, did did you need something? Well, not right now, but like when I get home, like, you know, did you call me for some reason? And she's just like, you know, what's happening at the office? Tell me everything. I know she's bored. <laughs> Right. And and then he and then he's like, all right, the phone's slipping out of my hands. And then like he (laughs) he hangs it up and she's like, she's nuts. And I'm like in a lesser movie like that could kind of that could be bad. But the way it's done. It it's funny because she, you know, yeah, she's just she's went from this life as a reporter chasing stories to just like. Home watching TV waiting. Yeah, yeah, wait. she's like not having fun. Right. Yeah, and, it's not and even like, like it's not even like she's like taking care of the child at this point. Is she's just right. like sitting there waiting for the child to be born? <laughs> yeah, it's an action-packed twenty-four hours for sure. <laughs> you know, there's like, a fight at the bar, there's a a, a birth, there's yeah, <laughs> a murder, a, like so much stuff. <laughs> murder, gunshots, everything. Mm-hmm. But it. You know, so I I would really love to have seen a sequel to this to find out like where these where these people are at now. Yeah, yeah, because you you're kind of left. You don't really know at the end of the movie. Right. You kind of assume everything's fine. You know, he, he has a healthy baby boy. Mm-hmm. Glenn Close kind you know realized what you know she was putting a dollar sign on people's lives, but. Mm-hmm. Like, what happens after that? Yeah, we don't know. You know. We just got a quick look, like a quick slice of life, 24 hours. That's all we got. Yeah. It is a very it is a very fast 24 hours. Like, I don't know how these it people is. are not. This is why all you see Michael Keaton drink throughout the entire movie is Coke. From the time he wakes <laughs> up to, to nighttime. Yes, that's true. They you must know. have had a deal with Coke. I 
another another one of my favorite scenes is so Michael Keaton is always asking for change because mm-hmm. he's always trying to get cans of coke. But you have Clint <laughs> Howard who plays a reporter who is like the who's like the reporter trope of the reporter who doesn't have the best grasp of the English language to an extent. So like whenever we see Clint Howard, he's always like, Hey, does anybody have another word for this? Or what's a word, you know, for this? And so Michael Keaton is asking him for change and he's like, Hey, do you have another word for it? He's like, Hey, I got another word for all of them. He just like throws him off to the side and he starts typing (laughs) up the story for him. (laughs) But I do like how that kind of trope of the reporter not having like the bet, like the biggest vocabulary yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, yeah. No, it really is. Um oh man, I just had a question and it left my brain. Um hopefully it comes back to me. Um Did you have a favorite scene? I think all the stuff that happened at the bar that we already talked about is probably, oh, yeah. probably my favorite part. I think I just have a soft spot for Jason Alexander, so that may be why. He, he, I don't know, like, so inside the newspaper building, the the AC is broken. Now, they're, mm-hmm. they're constantly working on it throughout the movie, and it's kind of a running joke where every time, like, you see the report, the repair people, they're like, ah, in, in a couple, two hours, you'll, you know, you'll see your breath. They always, like, have a line. But when we get to the bar, like, Jason Alexander is drenched. This yes. movie does not take place on a rainy day, mind you. But maybe like, it's in the middle of summer. I mean, like, it's definitely you know, in the New York of summer. summers are really brutal. So yeah, but like, but I think it also goes like to show like where his character is at, like mentally, and like, yeah, what true. he's been going through. But I thought it was a really nice touch, mm-hmm. like to, yeah. for his character. Oh, talk about the two bat signal things I missed. Um, so the two bat signal things, the first can of Coke that he has uh, during the day, there is a bat symbol. There is a bat logo on there. Oh. Yep. Uh, and then when he's hanging up the, f- yeah, when he's hanging up the phone, the camera pans down. And there's a Batman logo on an ad for for um, Six Flags Great Lake Adventure in New Jersey. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> nice nods. Yep, yep. Uh, and then also, you know, him and Marissa Tomei play a married couple. We're both mm-hmm. in Spider-Man Homecoming. True. Uh, you have Dennis Quaid and Randy Quaid. Uh, Denton. Robert Duvall and Randy Quaid, who were both in Days of Thunder together, mm-hmm. which was not, which was not Ron Howard. It's not, but it's a, also a really good movie. Nice. Yeah. So a lot of the cast, you know, have worked together in the past. And yeah. again, you have his secretary who uh, led the search for Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> I loved that show. It's such a good show. Like it was one of the best PBS um game shows. 
Yeah, it really was. Well, was there anything else from the movie that we missed? Uh, I don't think so. I feel like we covered it so quick. <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, we, we it, got the highlights. We did, like, and and we left out enough that even though, you know, look, yeah, you know, everything kind of turns out all right in the end, but that's mm-hmm. true for most movies. I don't sure. think it it doesn't spoil the the ability to watch this movie knowing knowing how it turns out. That's true. Like we haven't really spoiled anything. I mean, it it's still an interesting watch for yeah. sure. You can also tell that this movie is of its time because there is so much smoking going on. No kidding. And, you know, also lack of cell phones. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's only like, like you only see like two people with cell phones. Yeah. There's a lot of using like uh, non-cell phones, regular phones. (laughs) (laughs) Non-cell phones. You mean landlines? Landlines. I was trying to think of the word. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I was like the other phones, uh, beepers as you mentioned earlier. Did you have Lin- a beeper back in the day? Uh, no, no, I God, did. No, did you? My yes, my dad got me a beeper because I mean I have like helicopter parents. Okay, so like before <laughs> sorry, that was dad, a thing. Listening. Um, huh? Before yeah, that was it was really a, a thing. thing. Like yeah. Well, I don't know. Was it? <laughs> my dad got me a beeper basically to keep tabs on me. I mean, like, you know, I could never really, I could never really understand the need for, like, a normal person to have a beeper. Like, cell- <laughs> I know, I wasn't a doctor or anything. <laughs> yeah, like, cell phones, I can always see, like, like, you could, like, people always make the argument, like, should a child have a cell phone? You know, probably not, but at least it gives the child the ability to call the parents if something happens. Right, because, like, remember, they don't have ID, you know, if they get lost, it's... Yeah, I mean, what I used it for was my dad would, like, drop me off at the mall, and then, like, when I was ready to leave, I would page him, and then then, then, uh, go to a phone and call him, and vice versa. That's how we communicated. (laughs) So, yeah, all right, I can, like, for something like that i could see but like i was like i was trying to think of it as like well as a parent like it would give you comfort to make sure your child had a way to you know so you knew they were safe but i'm like a beeper doesn't really do that i know he'd like page me at school sometimes too it's like dad i'm at school like (laughs) still here (laughs) where you drop me off (laughs) what are you up to i'm in science class (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah to be clear most kids did not have a beeper um it was just me um but and then and yeah. then you had all those like complicated numerical codes to figure out oh yeah 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 before texting was really a thing yeah yeah you notice the lack of technology in this movie for sure you know um i don't even everything. think they have a beeper they talk about a beeper, about someone using a beeper, but you don't see anyone oh. using one, probably because that's boring to see. Right. <laughs> yes, that's right. The um, the reporter for the for like the Manhattan District or whatever or Brooklyn District didn't answer his pager. They they yeah. do mention that, but so yeah, there's there is oh. definitely a lack of technology. 
also the mentioning, like you said earlier, that's something that we kind of forget is like how much it costs to like make phone calls, either on landlines or cell phones, uh, remained an issue for a couple decades, right? Until we're we are at where we're at now. Yeah. Yeah. So like the that's out of state a, that's phone kind of an of its time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Long distance phone calls were were a thing. Nowadays with cell phone plans, you know, that that's long since been a that stopped being a problem. Now I think the only problem is like country to country. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, the, even that's kind of gotten better with Wi-Fi, but yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, I remember even like uh, calling my parents collect sometimes too. They really hated that if I didn't have <laughs> any quarters on me. I'd right, call them collect <laughs> from a pay. They were like, no. <laughs> That's that's definitely a, an of its time thing for sure. But see, if you were smart, when they when the collect call asked for your name, you would just put like the reason why you were calling, so that way they could oh, just yeah. hang up. Like, like mom, dad, I'm ready to get picked up. Click. <laughs> yeah, I think the commercial had something like I, ha- I had a baby, it's a boy, or something like that. <laughs> I remember that commercial. Anyway, yeah. Um. Well, I guess then we're at the end and so it's time for me to ask my couple of quick questions for you yes okay so what is it about this movie that keeps you coming back the i i am a sucker for for standing up for like the truth and and like like putting putting the truth above misinformation or anything else is is really an admirable quality that I think is is lacking somewhat today, but mm-hmm. I I just love you know the 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 newspaper person fighting to make sure people are aware of what's going on and and giving them like the the actual story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of forgot to share this, but I my degree was in PR with, um, you know, a lot of times when people get a PR degree, it's in marketing, but mine was in journalism. Um, I learned through that experience that I was not going to be a journalist. <laughs> they have a lot of my respect, but I remember one thing hearing over and over again was like the pay <laughs> and the right. long hours. And I was like, huh, that does not appeal to me, not making a lot of money working <laughs> really long hours. Um around the time when I got the degree too, like things were rapidly evolving because of um, the internet. And so, you know, it was a very shaky career then. Right. um, And obviously looks very different today, but I have a lot of respect, you know, for people that are in pursuit of the truth. And I think journalism is very important. And so, you know, kind of, that's my personal reason why I I liked that. Um, What is a way that you would pitch this movie to someone that hasn't seen it before? I would I would pitch this movie as a very like fast paced day in the life of a of a reporter mm-hmm. or or even just like ask somebody like hey did you like say the newsroom yeah you know yeah I feel like a lot of that stuff was like really popular in those decades so yeah, yeah like if point. you like the newsroom you would definitely like this movie because it you know it preceded it but it's very you know it's very same yeah. thing the you know fast talking or even like not not necessarily whodunit or mystery but you know a drama that fights for the little guy 
Yeah. No, I like that. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, well, Palmer, thank you so much Not for a coming on. Yeah, I love you. having you. Um, you want to go ahead and plug your, your shows? Yep. I I am on Academy Rewind, uh, which in theory releases uh, every fortnight. Uh, just don't, you know, hold us to that. Uh, but we do have a new episode coming out within the next couple of weeks, which will be our top 10 for top 10 movies of 2022 with you on as normal. Yep. I'm very excited about that. Did you finish your <laughs> I, list yet? Is the, uh, there's a lot of like, I haven't even seen, um, everything everywhere all at once which is insane because and the reason why is because it's hard to find it streaming you know like look, you're just like buy it spend 12.99 which i'm like maybe i'm just gonna do that because i'm just tired of waiting <laughs> look i'm gonna let you in on a secret i went through and organized my list over the weekend why i okay. waited till till then to start you know putting stuff in order is something i will never do again but Every before every episode that we do of those, I go through and write down what I think will be on your list and what I think will be on Tim's list as well, just to see how well I know you. <laughs> and look, I love that. I didn't know you did that. I have <laughs> That's awesome. I, I have written your movies down. And over the past two days, you have watched two movies that I had assumed you'd already watched. I had assumed you already watched <laughs> Pinocchio. I assumed you already watched. Um, uh, what was the one you watched last night? Oh, let's see, I saw Pinocchio and oh man, what was the other one? Um, doo, 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 let me look at my Twitter. Yeah, it was one that I was like, oh, she's definitely seen this, and I'm sure she's loved it. There was Pinocchio because it was also another like highly rated. Oh, the Glass Onion. Oh yes, so I'm like. Yeah, I love. But yeah, I did I'll, not get to see it later, sadly. And then I also have everything everywhere all at once on there. So I am really striking out on movies that I assumed <laughs> you saw, apparently. Well, I'm going to see it by the time we record, and you'll probably still be right. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so yep. Yeah, I, you know, I, because we, you know, we talk enough that I usually know what movies you've seen. And for some reason, I assumed you. I had assumed you would have already watched these. I know it's been a weird year. Like I haven't seen everything that I wanted to, but I, I will, I will. That is commitment. I'm speaking it into existence. Uh, Well, thank you. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I just pretty much have the menu left, which starts streaming tomorrow. So I loved it. I loved it so much. I hope you like it. I'm sure I will. I do really like the cast. So yeah, the cast is really good. Um, Yeah, I think you'll like it. Well, thank you again, Palmer, and obviously hope to have you back soon. Anytime. I have many movies that no one's ever heard of. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) All right. Thank you for having me. 